It's a pleasure to be here today with Dr. Bolette Blagard, Interdisciplinary Research Fellow at City University's Centre for Law, Justice and Journalism. Thank you for agreeing to this interview as part of CounterPoint's podcast and interview series. Today we'll be talking about the topic of WikiLeaks, journalism and cultural risk. Very topical today, I think, given the recent revelation that a Swiss banker has released a lot of information about prominent tax evasion and avoidance in the Cayman Islands. Well, it's clear that the WikiLeaks story has highlighted that the internet's capacity to make information freely available has various cultural risks associated with it. Given that, what do you think are the main issues that arise from the WikiLeaks case? Mm. Well, I think that there are two, two things that arise from, from this case that are not usually discussed, I think, in, in the media and, and in just the debates going on about WikiLeaks. And the first thing is that a lot of this um, a lot of these discussions focus on the right to freedom of expression, okay. or right um, to have this information, which is, is, is our right. <laughs> but we seem to forget the, the obligation that, go with, that goes with the, that right, the responsibility and the social responsibility that go with that right. Um, Maybe sort of a, um, a truism that with, with great powers become great responsibilities. And I think that we need to look at those responsibilities in terms of in terms of cultures um, and in terms of, of the uh, impact that, uh, that WikiLeaks and, and other internet um, news agencies have um, today in our, in our societies. Okay, well, given that you've just mentioned cultures, could you talk a little bit more about the different ways in which the WikiLeaks case um, has played out and been received in different cultural contexts and perhaps what this signifies in a, in a broader sense of clashes between cultures. Yeah, well I think that, that we have to first of all be a little bit wary of, of giving it too much importance, how you know the, the, all, all this talk about uh, WikiLeaks uh, revolutions and Twitter revolutions and uh, it sort of brings with it uh, an idea that actually kind of a cultural imperialism, you know, the sort of if we just bring our technology to, to the people of Iran um, then outspring <laughs> springs a, a, a little American or a little Western person, a little person who sees freedom of expression um, in the same ways that we do. The culture, the political culture that lies be behind freedom of expression is, of course, uh, an idea of individual freedom, and and I think that's that's very important, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way in other cultures. So. Um, Freedom may be seen as a collective uh, endeavour, but when we talk about our freedom to express ourselves, we usually talk about individual freedom to, to uh, think freely and, and, and express those thoughts. Um, and we assume that that is how it is seen everywhere. So we bring freedom, WikiLeaks bring freedom to, to all these people through the technology, but it is our, our kind of freedom. That, that we're bringing, you know, and at, at the same time, we're then bringing in our ideas of, of culture, of, of, and, and that also lies in the, embedded in the technology, um, as it were, so that, you know, the way of, of communicating is, is, uh, is 
is um, amplified by the, by the technology, mm. the sort of rational, um, text-based way of, of communicating, mm. um, whereas it sort of perhaps overlooks an embodiedness in the communication um, that may be emphasized more in another culture mm. um, that is not Western. So we are, um, there's the issue of, of, of our emphasis on rights rather than our responsibilities, and there's the, the issue of um, bringing our culture through the, the technology and through that um, emphasis on rights rather than obligations um, to, to other uh, cultures. Um, and of course that is also a very simplistic way of looking at it because you know, there is no our culture, but there is an emphasis yeah. on rights in, yeah. in the Western societies yeah. and, and rights that are based on individual freedoms which is not necessarily the same way everywhere else, and I think that that is what we need to be aware of in our discussions, you know, to nuance it. Okay, because that, that, that's very interesting because um, often the way that people talk about the kind of revolution in internet technology, the, the, the sense in which this kind of breaks down barriers between cultures, what do you think about that way of talking? Do these advances in technology result in kind of a smaller world or perhaps uh, increased polarization and entrenched division in our world? Well I think it does. I think that what we need to be aware of with technology is that it is not something that's out there. It mm. is part of us. It's part of our social lives. It's part of our culture. It's, um, it's extensions of ourselves. So, so it does what we do. Mm. <laughs> on a different scale, yeah, um, and I think so. It both, it's 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 you know, there. There may be all these these social networks that have um, political goals and and they uh, connect people um, in in um, positive ways, but they're also hate groups, mm. and and you know, technology is it's not something that is um, inherently good or mm. or you know because it connects people. People in the sense in which it doesn't have a value in itself, it's kind of no, a tool which it, we use. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But within that tool lies some underlying ideas of how we then connect with each other because it is written in a certain way and it is, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's based on certain ways of communication uh, that may not be um, universal. universal, exactly. Okay. Um, so, so I think, and I, I think that there are um, there also um, research pointing towards the fact that people tend to connect to the people they already know or who are like mm. them. Uh, so it, it's there's a potential, let's put it that way, there's certainly a potential to reach much farther than we used to <laughs> when we did not have the internet. Mm. Um, but it's the question of how we use that potential that is interesting. I also wanted to speak about the sense in which um, WikiLeaks has divided a lot of opinion. Mm, yeah. I mean, people's responses to the WikiLeaks issue have been very starkly polarised. To what extent do you think these divisions are fairly transient? Or do you think they reflect something, a deeper polarisation within our society or perhaps within mm. kind of global society of that? I think it pops up quite a lot, the way that, especially when we talk about freedom of expression. Mm. Uh, issues like the cartoon controversy would be another one because that was a, a controversy 
focused on freedom of expression, of journalists as well. And it very easily becomes these um, dichotomized ideas of either you are for freedom of expression or you are against it, and then you're with, you know, the Muslims in the case of, of the cartoon controversy, or you're with um, the corrupt politicians uh, in the case of WikiLeaks. And it goes back to the, the idea of focusing on freedom as, as an individual um, Western concept and, and the focus on rights, as, as I was talking about. Um, because if, if you talk about freedom of expression as that, then uh, paradoxically you're not able to discuss freedom of expression. You know, it becomes this sort of mantra that, you know, uh, freedom of expression, we all know what it is and we have to guard it. And of course it is, you know, it, it's one of the, the main pillars of our societies. But if you cannot discuss it, if you cannot express yourself freely about freedom of expression, then you have a problem, I think, personally. Mm. And I think that WikiLeaks and, and the ideas that are surfacing in this discussion, as with the cartoon controversy, or the, the Fitna controversy in, in the Netherlands, University, all these ideas, um, that they, they have a tendency to, to dichotomize the, the debate. I don't know if it's an underlying thing. I think it has to do with... I think it has to do with the way that we see the world today in the, in the media um, that sort of simplifies things a little bit. And it also perhaps has to do with the fact that that analysis, and especially the academic analysis, humanities, the humanities, are under a lot of pressure these days. This sort of expert knowledge, or um, again, the, the nuanced knowledge, is downplayed or downgraded uh, in comparison to you know the raw material material of the real life, mm -hmm. and WikiLeaks is certainly that. You know, it's the you know here you have like what is it four hundred thousand documents? There you go. You you know go for it. I mean, that is a little bit. Um, no, you need, and I think that's the responsibility of journalism. They need to contextualize things. Mm -hmm. You need to understand. We have the responsibility to understand what those 400,000 documents are all about, and you need journalists to do that. That is, you know, that's good, good journalism. That's a reflection upon the, the world and the ability to allow the audience to deliberate rather than just put sides. That's actually another very interesting point, um, because a trend that the WikiLeaks case reflects is the, the sense in which the internet allows for citizen journalism. Mm. So, given that what risks do you think are associated with the fact that citizen journalists need not know anything about journalistic ethics? Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, the, the, I don't know if WikiLeaks is citizen journalism, mm. to be honest. You know, it's, it's sort of a news agency that has set up a, a structure that allows people to give them information anonymously, which makes them very popular, obviously. Mm. <laughs> but they're still, you know, they're, they're a news agency. They're not necessarily, you know, they're not even a wiki, are they? No, you know. <laughs> I think they started off as wiki, but they... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah see. So, um, but, but citizen journalism, absolutely, there's the idea of the raw material, the, the, you know, the immediacy of it, there's this person here, right there, in the middle of a tsunami, that that makes it more authentic, perhaps, uh, more real. And the idea is that, um, that there is no editing going on there is, first of all, that's one point of it. It's... 
problematic if you think that you're seeing the real thing. You know, you're seeing what this person picked. You're seeing what the mainstream media picked for you to, to view on, on their broadcast, um, and and so on. So they're always editing going on. But I do think that you're right. It emphasizes the idea that that we're watching something real. You know, it's it's right there in front of you, something raw, something unedited, um, and that is the way to go. That mm. we don't need anyone to tell us how to think. Or to you know, contextualize you know, it. Or to, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, we, expert knowledge becomes this sort of biased political thing. Mm. And it is, but so is everything else. You know, and I think that um, understanding that and understanding the context of it is the responsibility of, of journalism, of good journalism. You know, and I think that uh, um, you know, it's not an attack on, on journalism or WikiLeaks for that matter. It's more a, a um, sort of a hope that that the journalistic profession will take up the, the idea of technology and the the possibility and the, the, the reach that technology has and, and make it a part of, of the profession. Um, incorporate it and, and sort of still have the integrity of journalism mm. intact rather than simply just using whatever they're being sent in or avoiding that sort of context and contextualization of the news. So you think the these technological developments can be absorbed, as it were, into the traditional journalistic ethics and craft or well, when you say absorbed, it sort of sounds like it goes mainstream, so I forget. No, I think it does change journalism, yeah. absolutely. I think that every technological, I mean, the radio changed journalism, yeah. television changed the journalism, it changed the format, and so it also changes the content. You know, I, I doubt that the polar bear Knut would have been a big story in news journalism if the television had not been there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so so they, it changes the stories, it changes... Um, the way that we, we do journalism, and I think that that citizen journalism does that as well. Um, but that change needs to be acknowledged and worked with, and it takes some time. And you know, we yeah, we may just be at the beginning of, of something. A long journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I also wanted to touch upon the sense in which the new technological developments, which um, allow us to well, technology developments in new media and journalistic practices are often referred to as the presence of an online global community. In what sense do you think this online global community reflects any real-world global community in any meaningful way? Well, it reflects the global, <laughs> uh, in, in, the, in the sense of the people who have, have um, access to the internet. <laughs> That's one mm -hmm. thing. Um, and it represents the global in the sense that the people who, who buy into the, the Western communication culture in the sense that the technology is embedding um, a certain way of, of communicating as I mentioned before. Um, so it is really, a, a, you know, global is really a, a big word <laughs> in that connection. Um, Perhaps you could talk more about the Western communication culture that you refer to. Kind of explain it a little bit more. Um, well, no, well, as I said, it has a, 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 an emphasis on, um, on arguments in a certain way, uh, on, on rational uh, communication. It does not emphasize uh, the context as much as it could. It's sort of what you call a content, high context 
low communication style. Mm -hmm. That our body language is not emphasized as much as it would be in, in other cultures, for instance. Okay. Um, and so the embodiedness and of communication is is yeah, it's downplayed a bit. And that's why the, the, the way that, that technology uh, transfer that kind of communication is, is perfect. It's sort of a, that is the, the, the mix of it. it that's, that's the perfect match, the two, um, obviously, mm. is that the people who developed it had that kind of uh, attitude towards communication. And it has to do with, with far-reaching and fast um, content-driven dri uh, you know, communication, that sort of mm. uh, focus. Okay. So, in the context of that Western communication culture, mm. kind of an embodiment of that is the sense in which kind of news stories now transcend traditional borders. So the internet kind of acts as a vehicle for the construction of global identities and communities via these stories that transcend borders. To what extent do you think that aspect of the internet is a result of the fact that we already have these diverse identities and communities or are these diverse identities communities a result of the internet's power to what came first the prep the kind of cosmopolitan citizen with diverse identities and communities which transcend the traditional nation state or is the cosmopolitan citizen a result of the fact that the internet um, creates these communities via kind of news stories and do you understand what I mean? Yeah, well, cosmopolitanism has a long history, <laughs> and even if we see, if we, we don't look at the Greek <laughs> and their idea of cosmopolitanism, mm. the idea of Kant was certainly before the internet. But yeah. Yeah, 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 no, no, I think that what you're asking is whether it's something that is inherent in our way of, of being, to, to be social or beyond, you know, to, to connect to other people from other countries and other cultures. Mm. Is that what you're saying, or, or is it something that has started because we are able to connect to them? Um, yes. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. I, I suppose that is something you know. That it's beyond my my field of research because it goes into psychology, doesn't it? Mm. You know, the sort of uh, idea whether you know something. I'm always a little bit concerned when something is is portrayed as being inherent. You know, something that we're born with, mm. but. Um, I do think that we are social beings, in a sense, and, and, and I suppose you can see that from history, that people have always been travelling and, uh, and have always been connecting to other people, um, and, and technology is now able to sort of allow us to, to connect even more and faster. Mm. I suppose that there is a, a parallel to, to WikiLeaks, you know, there's always been informants, but, you know, 400,000 documents is a lot more than, you know, the technology allows us to do it in, on a larger scale, what we've always been doing, I suppose. Um, but from there on to say that, that, that it's inherent in our, you know, in our biology that we will connect that to, you know, I don't know, I don't know. But I think that no matter what, the technology um, and the fact that it's a larger scale and it's faster will always also change the way that we 
do things. It's not just a larger scale. It's also it also has implications. I'm quite convinced of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Blagard. That's a good place to end. I think. Um, thanks for taking part in this counterpoint interview. Okay.